Well, here we are, another week closer to turkey season, and it can't get here fast enough. So today, we're going to talk to Ricky Joe Bishop. This dude has been all over the place chasing turkeys. He's a local guy. He lives right down the street from us, pretty much. The dude has just hunted turkeys for a long time, and if anybody is into turkey hunting... They've probably heard the name Ricky Joe Bishop. He's worked with all kind of folks from Mad with Loman. He's worked with all different kind of people all throughout his career. And this is a really good one. We talk about all kind of stuff, just all kind of great little bitty pieces of information in this one. So kick back, hope y'all enjoy. And also, hey, if anybody's going, hopefully we'll see y'all at the NWTF convention up there to watch the Grand Nationals. So, everybody kick back, pop you open a cold one, and enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 25. This is Strut South Podcast. We got Mr. Ricky Joe Bishop on here with us. We're going to talk to him today. He, um... He's a Grand National champion. He won it two times, and if I'm not mistaken, I think then you win it back to back. Yeah, back to back. I came yeah. to Atlanta. I was trying to win it third round. I got got smoked down here in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> well, I he's also yeah, yeah, um, and also you know uh, he's a a world champion in the the two man team with uh, won that with uh, Michael Waddell and. Um, He's got his own company. He's called Dirt Road Jeans, and he's he's a local guy. He lives right here, just right down the road from us. Um, you uh, we had you on back during deer season, and uh, but today we're going to talk about some turkeys. But but you were able to get you a target buck, wasn't you? Yeah, I think you brought me luck. It wasn't too long after that. The buck I'd been chasing for two years. Uh, Thanksgiving morning, I got up in the tree and I barely got out of bed that morning. And uh, he comes strolling in behind a doe, and lucky enough to take him, it was a good Georgia buck. He's gonna grow. He grows around one forty-five. He's gonna net in the high one thirties. For but for Georgia, that's a good buck. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, we got uh, we got the Grand Nationals coming up. NWTF is actually this weekend. This this podcast maybe people can listen to it on the drive up there um you getting ready for grand nationals i'm not calling <clears throat> this year um i didn't get time to prepare for it. next year i think i'm gonna get, get back in it i got a i got a little something up my sleeve next year for everybody but uh i am doing a uh, sunday uh seminar with some other guys they hadn't got the information back to we're doing a group seminar I think it's around lunchtime on Sunday. I got to get the booklet and see that they hadn't got back with me to tell me the exact time. But I'm looking forward to it. I, I mean, I've been going to this thing for, I don't know, 20-something years and uh, had not missed a beat. And uh, But it's always fun to go see everybody and talk turkey and get fired up for turkey season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've never called in it. Um, I know I want to one day and – I know my main goal 
is I got to get qualified first, but I do want to get into the goblin division. I know you don't have to be qualified to get in that, and I really do want to try to do goblin. Um, hopefully next year is going to be – I'll be there next year at least do the goblin. Um, but it is. It's, it's an awesome event. I know last year was my first time going. Oh, really? And, yeah, and it was – man, it was – it's amazing. Yeah, I, I think it. last year they had almost fifty thousand people come to that convention, and uh, it it's always just good. I've made a lot of friends and a lot of seen a lot of people over the years, and uh, it's just good to get see all the new products and uh, get to see everybody. Yeah, well, I know last year they said that that broke a record, like attendance, yeah. I think. But then I think the year before that. It, it broke a record the year before that too, and then last year was even bigger than the year before. I think is what they said. Yeah, it's it's it's. I like I like it being at the Opryland Hotel. It's just so convenient. When you, once you get in there, uh, my daughter loves going there. I started taking her a couple of years ago, and I've been going up there since the early nineties. And when they started having it there every year, but it's it's just a great place. It's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah it is. I can't wait. I'm ready. I'm we got two more days and then we're leaving out. I'm ready. <clears throat> um well let's uh let's go on and get into talking about some turkey stuff here. Um so if anybody out there don't know who you are, which I mean I think a lot of people do, but what what got you uh into turkey hunting? Like what did you how did you get started? Well, when I was a kid and a lot of people don't know this but when I was going to church, uh, there was a guy there at our church. He was the head of the game warden, and he taught me how to make a turkey call out of a pill bottle. And you stretch the rubber over it. It's like nowadays it would be called tube call. He taught me that. And I can remember him giving me my first mouth diaphragm, and it was a pins wood. It was a clear plastic, no tape. And I just blow it on the school bus. And me and some boys got together, and we went out and tried a turkey hunt. And uh you know, I used to, I can, I can, I can remember back in my mind, I said, why would they call a wild turkey a big game? Well, now I know, because when you get out and chase a wild turkey, it's the, one of the biggest challenges and most uh, fulfilling things you can do when you harvest one. But uh, we went out and chased him, and I was lucky enough, I killed my first turkey in 1981, but we, we chased him a few years earlier. And, uh, but once I got to hear that gobble and that spitting drum and you, the way you interact with the turkeys, that it, it just got under my skin. But then a buddy got me. He was started doing the uh, calling contest, and he come by and said, "Man, won't you go with me? Won't you go with me?" And I was like, "Oh man, I'm too shy to get up on stage, whatever." And I listened to him call, and I said, "Man, I know I can beat him." So I wound up getting into trouble with him one day. And went to a calling contest that got me started in that. So that was back in the late '80s. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I. I I think I've, I mean, and I've only been getting into the calling aspect, calling contest, probably last four or five years. I mean, I really hadn't been that big into the calling side, the competition side of it. Um, just been hunting them for a long time, and that's that's kind of what got me. Which I didn't, I didn't think I could beat nobody, but I really wanted to just get into it to be a better yeah. caller, and that was my main goal, and. And I really think it has, my calling has in, improved dramatically just within the last 
34 years. Yeah, may should pay more attention to detail. And there's such a thing as stage calling, woods calling, but if you're smart enough to get out there, you know how to mix it up. It makes you, I mean, turkeys are not going to pick up on your mistakes too much. Uh, but uh, it makes you, this makes you, a, but I do know when you get out there and you're a competition calling, you got that extra edge, that realism, it helps when you're in the woods. Because turkeys are wiser, they get wiser every year if they call to, and, and it, it helps to be uh, have that edge where you got a little bit more sharpness in your calling, a little bit better calling. Yeah, I agree. Um, I can, uh, I think, in in two, I think it gives you a little bit more patience too when you're actually hunting. I mean, I don't, I don't know. To me, it does because. You do sometimes got to have a little bit of patience when you up there trying to practice for calling. I think it's in a way you got to kind of be patient with yourself and just keep on practicing, and eventually you'll get better and better. So. Yeah, well, it's worth saying though. I, I mean, I've been <clears throat> mouth calling and competition calling with a mouth diaphragm for years, but I'll use a box call probably as much as I do use a mouth call when in the woods, and also. I've got wing bones that I've made years ago, and I've—you never know on a given day what that turkey's going to react to. So I always keep an arsenal of different calls. And to me, the wing bone, the mouth call, and the box call is the the main three that I use. And I've I've called up turkeys with that wing bone that they wouldn't answer to anything else. So I always keep one. And then a box call, I usually try to. When I'm walking and calling or trying to get loud and aggressive, cutting and yelping, I, I, that's what I usually start off with, with a good raspy, high-pitched box call, and then I'll finish it up with a mouth call if I get them to gobble so my hands are free. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know I've had that happen several times. The Probably the one time that I can remember the most at, at the time, this has been, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago probably, and me and my brother – we um we went hunting and we'd hunted from daylight it was almost gosh it was probably almost lunchtime and we hit three or four different spots <clears throat> and hunted all morning didn't hear a single bird gobble anywhere and we stayed at this one place for a pretty good while and we then went all over the property using all our calls and I mean, we just used everything, and we couldn't hear. We didn't hear a single turkey. And then finally, we were about to leave. I told my brother, I pulled out this this old night and hell mouth call that I hardly ever use, and I told him, I said, "Hold on, let me call one more time." And I put it in. I called, and I mean, as soon as I called, turkey gobbled. And he come came straight to us. Like I mean, it was perfect. Huh. But. They will do that sometimes. Sometimes it, it just depends. They just want to hear one certain sound. Yeah, is, I've, I've had that happen many, many times. Uh, just that one. I think what it is, and I kind of believe this, that you got a gobbler in a certain area, and he knows what hens live around there, and he knows what different sounds they make. And on a certain day to strike that nerve, you got to make a sound that's close to one of those hens or that note that they make that get you know that gets under his skin, and uh, and yep. you just got to strike that nerve, and you don't ever know you know on that on day on that day what it is. You know, turkeys will gobble sometimes right. the craziest things, but uh, 
it's just having that mix of calls with you it really helps i was in south florida and um, i pulled out a wing bone he's hunting these orchards and uh um i pulled the wing bone out we've done been all over this place had hunter turkey and uh was with two guys <coughs> and i started hitting this wing bone and i said what was that and it was so far off it's one of those wish me gobbles you thought you heard something and i said hey, y'all listen up and i hit it again sure enough you heard a gobble so i hit it again he tell just a little bit closer a little bit closer he came from i mean way way off and here he come and, and in florida around these orchards you got these drainage ditches with the water in them and uh he come up there so close and he hung up and he wasn't going further so the buddy of mine named corby i said here i whispered to him and i was sitting up against a uh, grapefruit tree <laughs> i said uh, I said, you take it and crawl back and and keep him going. I said, I'm going to shoot him when he comes up here. And he crawled off, and he come crawling back, and he said, hey, what's in this thing you sucking on? <laughs> he didn't know how to use a wing bone. <laughs> and I said, turn it around to small end and kiss on it. <laughs> He's okay. And we wound up killing that turkey. <laughs> that was awesome. That's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, man, I want to get I want to get down there and kill me an Osceola. Hopefully that'll come true soon. Yeah, we started out. I, um, I started out back in the early '90s after I won some contests, got invited by some people who were just starting to video, real treating them video. They took me down, and I killed my first Osceola way back in the around '95, I think. But this awesome. gotten a little tougher now. I mean, it's just the, the, there's a lot of pressure on you know getting hunting property, and I was lucky enough to get on some good properties, kill some good birds. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, you figure it probably does get more and more pressure every other year because that's the only place you can go to but kill But I tell it. you, though, you get in this area, Georgia and Alabama, <clears throat> um, there's a lot of good hunters in Georgia and Alabama, and they stay on them. I mean, I've hunted the Midwest, and people up in the Midwest just don't get out every weekend and chase them, chase them, chase them. Their season's shorter. But these birds down here in Georgia, you know, they're hunting from like March the 25th on up to May 15th. And uh, they get so much pressure on them; they get tougher and tougher every year. It seems like. Yeah, I know they. You're right. There's there's a lot of guys, especially around. I mean, people I know. I mean, that hunt just about every just about every day, and uh, they definitely stay <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I like to think of myself as one of them people. I, I think I like to think of myself as one. Yeah, you gotta stay on them. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are what are your plans for uh, for this season? Well, uh, I think I'm gonna go down to South Georgia opening weekend hunt with uh, my buddy. We <clears> always <throat> do a we used to do a country goes hunting. We did it 15 years. It was uh, my buddy Sam Clements and uh, Red Aikens put it on, but they not. Well, he Red came in last year. We did a little condensed hunt. We had about 10 of us in there, and we just scattered out, went over to Alabama, Georgia, and killed quite a few turkeys. Nate Hosey came in. But I hadn't, we hadn't confirmed who all was coming in, but then the next weekend I'm going to go down to Grady County and do a seminar for a hunting event. And then after that, I'm kind of open. Uh, I'll go up in Kentucky when it comes in, uh, about the second week of April. And that, that's about it for right now. Uh, I'll probably get a couple more invites, but. I like chasing these Georgia birds. I put in for some public hunting. Uh, I hope I draw what I drew last year on the one place. Uh, but that's about it. 
I tell you, I'm, which I think I told you, but I'll be off. I'm gonna have the whole first week of April, so yeah, we definitely ought to try and hook up. Yeah, I'd like that public land you're talking about and get after them. Yeah, actually, that that'll actually be a good time too, because uh, that well, the the I hunt. You can hunt core land around West Point Lake, and then um, you got your WMA, which is separate from the Corps of Engineers property, but. The, that WMA, they do quota hunts the first week and a half. I know the last that last week of March, it's it's quota hunt only. Yeah. So, um, that first week of April is when you can actually start turkey hunting. Yeah. And I put in. So I plan I put on in for a quota hunt <clears throat> the last uh, the third week <clears throat> big, on Big Lizer, and I drew it last year, and that's where that bobcat episode happened down there. <laughs> And I can tell everybody exactly what happened. It's never happened to me before, but I drew this third week of the season, the third leg of the uh, draw, and the guy told me to go check this place out. And uh, I eased in there, and I was in my truck, and I said, "I'm on." There's a road, big long road, and I said, "I'm just gonna drive in here." And I got out and called and didn't hear nothing. So I'm gonna go find a parking spot, and a gobbler ran across the road. So I said, right. I eased on by. He went up through the woods with a hen. I said, I'm going to loop way around. I'm going to go up in there. I'm going to get up on, hop on this hill, and I'm just going to set up and call and just stay there for an hour. So I did that, and I eased up through there. And when I got up to the, almost where I was going to set up, a hen got me up under some brush. I said, well, that's strange. She let me walk right up on her. And about 10 more steps, another hen did that. So they must have a nest in here. So I set up, and I'm sitting there calling with my shotgun on my shooting stick, and I've got one of those newfangled NWTF vest has got the big frame in it so i'm sitting off a big pine about just enough you know my head's not touching the tree and i got my full head net on tied in the back and uh, i'm sitting there just long enough and i start daydreaming calling and i was thinking this ain't gonna happen you know and all of a sudden i heard a rustle of my right shoulder and before i could turn my head a bobcat was on top of my head and I screamed like you nobody's ever screamed and i slung my hand up and i think i scared him worse scared me when he hit the ground i did shoot at him i swung up and shoot i shot behind him but i it felt like a, a bunch of bees got a hold of me and uh, i had eight or ten uh clamp down mark who he just sunk his claws in my skull and i was bleeding i wiped, wiped my, head through, my hands through my hand and i had blood on my fingers and i was holy crap but uh i called a buddy of mine he sent me, uh, he's a doctor and gave me some antibiotics he said he didn't think he had rabies he probably just thought i was a turkey i guess and he snuck right up on me i didn't hear nothing until he ran and he had to be like six steps behind me and he just lunged on my head and that's the craziest thing that ever happened man. Turkey hunting. that's that's pretty crazy <laughs> I, I don't i don't think i got anything that's, that's quite that crazy now we had that happen years ago on that country uh, country girls hunting event a, a cameraman there was about four or five guys set up, and he was running the camera, and there was a guy calling right next to him, and the bobcat peeled off, but it caught his shoulder. It did scratch him, but it, it realized something was up right at the last moment. But this one just jumped right on top of my head. I guess he saw those strings dangling off the back of my head net, and, and that calling, because yeah. I was sitting real still. The only thing I was moving was my head left to right, left to right. I was watching down the hill, and he caught me off guard. <laughs> he got right on me. Man. <laughs> that's crazy it was wild <laughs> yeah um 
Well, we'll talk about uh, kind of since we're talking about you was going hunting. Um, which I, what was that? Was that like a midday? No, it was kind of a or? late morning hunt. I'd say it was about nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning. I got you. Um, well, what are you kind of? What are kind of some of the things you do like when you get started? Like, say you pull up at the property, it's daylight. How do, how do you go about hunting? Well, usually, of course, like everybody else, I got <clears> a really good owl hooter I use, and uh, I like to get in a good high area. And I, if 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 I can, I like to get in there even before I try to roost a bird. Some of these areas, it's weird. Some places, turkeys are real vocal in the evenings, and some places you you will never hear a turkey gobble in the evenings. But uh, but I usually start out and try to locate locate one with a uh, owl hooter. And then uh, move in, get, you know, depends on the foliage on the trees, get as close as I think I can without spooking him. And I, and I always try to make sure I don't spook a bird because that's the easiest thing to do is get, you know, make too much noise or get too close. They can see so good that you just got to kind of give them an extra little buffer zone. Because if he's going to come, he's going to come. Uh, if you got the right calls, you're doing the right thing. But uh, if he's not with a bunch of hens, but then I'll just set up and usually, like I said, I'll start. If I'm if I'm not trying to locate them, if I'm out just trailing or trolling in the, later in the day, I use a box call a lot. But in the mornings, I'll use that mouth call, set up, start calling soft to him and see what he does, see how he reacts. And I'll see, I guess, if his hands start being vocal with him, around him, roosted with him, I might get a little more aggressive and uh, see if I can get him to fly down close. That's just pretty much the way I do it. Just try to get in, you know, that safety distance and then just get set up. Yeah. Yeah. To me, <clears throat> to me, I think that's probably the hardest, one of the hardest ways to try to call one in is if you're, if you got them roosted with the You hens. always want to try to get above the turkey on the, If you're in a hilly country, you don't want to get below a turkey ever. It's harder. It's, yeah, it'll happen, but most of the time they like to pitch up high on a hill so their yeah. their voice can be heard. Because typically the hen is supposed when that gobbler gobbles, the hens are supposed to come to him. That's the way nature works. Right. You're reversing nature when he when that when uh, he comes to you. When you got to find that desperate gobbler. Because if a gobbler always came to a hen when you called, there wouldn't be any gobblers out there. <laughs> so they'll they'll sit up there and gobble. They like yeah. to get to a a strut zone or a goblin zone up on a high on a hill a lot of times if you're in the hilly country. They got a certain area they like to go to. If you, it might be a corner of a pasture if you're on flatland or something. But if you can find that area they like to go to, on a regular, you can almost pattern them like a deer uh, sometimes, certain gobblers. But if, you, but if mm-hmm. you can put all that together as a puzzle, I mean, that would make you more successful, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's what I was saying. You know, I don't think. I think that's probably the toughest. You you just got to. I think a little bit of luck's involved, and plus you got to you got to know that you can get in the right spot. Because most time, if you can get close enough, or if you get in the right spot, then you're gonna be all right. But I know it's sometimes it is tough when when they got if a a gobbler roosted, and so he's got seven or eight hens roosted with him. It's sometimes it is tough. I mean, you just got to hope that they fly down and come to you because if they don't i mean he most nine times out of ten he's gonna fly down and walk where they're walking yeah and one thing i believe and i've always i believed this for a long time but 
you know, and it's the most frustrating thing when that turkey quits gobbling. And you say, he won't gobble. You know, he might sit there for three hours and he'll gobble every once in a while at certain noises, a crow or a hawk flower. But I think uh, that spitting and drumming takes over the gobbling because uh, that low-frequency sound for those turkeys, they can hear it so far, and there's no need for him to gobble. Once he's in sight of a hen, if he's got a hen out there, that's why he's not gobbling. There's no right. need for him. They did a study. I, it's been years ago. I was talking about the elephants over in Africa. They, they they vibrate their ears, and it's real close to the uh, spitting drum of a wild turkey. And they were saying those elephants could hear that noise for five miles. And so you can imagine wow. that, you know, I've hunted the Midwest, Missouri, and there's no lie. You can hear a spitting drum, big old Missouri gobblers in open timber before the leaves get filled out. You can hear it 150, 200 yards uh, sometimes. Uh, Georgia birds, sometimes you can get a bird that spits and drums real loud. But I really do believe that takes over uh, that goblin once he gets on the ground. A lot of, at certain times of year he does that. He's just, he's just spitting and drumming, spitting and drumming. There's no need for him to gobble. And you're sitting yeah. out there calling these law, he's gone or he's not doing this, but he's over there with those hens spitting and drumming, just strutting his butt off, and uh, there's no need for him to gobble. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've never thought of that, and that's that's actually, it kind of makes a lot of sense because it's almost like, I mean, we all know turkeys can hear, which I don't, oh, yeah. I don't even know how biologically or, well, not biologically, but anatomy wise it i don't see how they can hear as good as they can because they technically ain't got right. no ears well, they <laughs> can hear but, but, yeah too. That's, that's crazy. i think i think they can hear probably as good or maybe better than they can see yeah yeah um i mean i don't know the what the fact scientific facts are but i just know they can hear but it makes sense because to me it it seems like they hear they might they may be able to hear other frequencies of sound that humans can't hear right it's just like you know with dogs you know you blow one of them dog whistles we can't hear it but they can right. and it hurts their ears right. one thing about a turkey too is that they don't have any curiosity like you're deer hunting and you can fool a deer's eyes you just can't fool the smell but uh a deer but uh a turkey when he's out there and you've seen him, if you're up in a deer stand deer hunting, the turkey will come in and pick you out, and he, he's gone. You know, deer might stand there and stomp his foot and, you know, look at you and move his head around. But a turkey, once he thinks, he hears something that's not right or sees something that's not right, he's out. Of, he's getting out of dodge. He's not going to stick around. Uh, so that makes it tougher, too. They don't, they, don't, they don't hang around. They don't have any curiosity. They just, yeah. they just know to get out to go. Right. Yep, they definitely don't. They don't. Or sign of any kind of threat they they're gone um now i do know you're speaking about their eyesight i saw a thing this i saw a thing one time it was talking about their a turkey's vision and uh, a turkey's peripheral vision is like ours just for preference ours is like um 180 degrees a turkey's is 270 degrees so, really, the only, like, if he's staring in one direction, the only thing that he can't see is what is directly behind his head. Yeah. So, I mean, if it's, basically, he can pretty much see something if it's behind his shoulder yeah. or, you know, just, just beside his shoulder. Yeah. 
I do know they can pick up on the movement so well. I've hunted with some guys. Been I used to guide a lot, and I had a guy. We had some coming in, and I looked over here, and the turkeys that's putted and ran off, they were coming in just as pretty as you please. I looked over, and his gun barrel was shaking. <laughs> the only thing I figured, they picked up on that gun barrel shaking. Uh, but they can pick up on, they pick up on any little bit of movement like that. Uh, so well they, and, and like i said they'll get get out of there once they see something wrong yeah yeah they do yeah and and a lot of times that's why um that's why i kind of like to use decoys i mean i know some people don't like using them and i won't use them you know if it calls for it but a lot of times i do like to use decoy that way it kind of helps sometimes in in my opinion it, it definitely helps calm them down a little bit now you you can use decoys and it actually hurts you and they actually run away from you when you use them. But what do you, I mean, how do you, how do you use your decoys? Well, if I'm hunting by myself, I usually keep a hen or a jake, uh, one, something like that real fast, but I've hunted with guiding all over Missouri. And so we have, we'll put out a couple, if we're going to hunt big fields, we'll, you know, just get them in close. Uh, we'll use a couple combination of a jake and two hens or something like that. And, uh, We've had more success down in South Georgia in these big peanut uh, plowed up peanut fields and cotton fields. Uh, a buddy of mine makes a a it's a full mount uh, Jake, a, a real turkey mounted. that has got a tail that goes up and down. And I'll tell you what, if they he pulls it with a string, the name Tim Knight, and uh, when you pull that fan up and down. Those turkeys go crazy. They, they, I've seen them come 500 yards across the field. Uh, just mm. that, you know, that strutting motion. And there's several companies yeah. making them now. They were making them. Uh, but I'll use them. Um, I use decoys quite a bit. Depends on the situation. I like to just go get in the big timber and, you know, call them in and, you know, I don't have to use a decoy if it's thick timber. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice not to have to worry about a decoy and, I do that sometimes too. Um, I tell you, I know I'm, I'm kind of switching real hard right here, but it just made me think of it because we're sitting here and it's, I'm outside. Maybe y'all could tell, and it's kind of raining a little bit. Um, I tell you, we've been getting a lot of rain here last, uh, well, uh, this whole year. We've gotten a ton of rain. Um, and that made me think of it. Do you think that a turkey's, you think the amount of rain that we get in a year determines how heavy the turkeys are? Um, I don't know if it affects, you're talking about affecting their weight? Yeah. I don't yeah. really know about that. I know, I do know, I've always heard and I've talked to biologists, uh, you don't want a wet spring when they're during the hatching time because, uh, Turkey's uh, it's real susceptible to the cold rain and it, and it kills off a lot of the poults. But uh, right, it's probably not good for them having this much rain year round like this. I don't know. There's a lot of grass. It could, I mean, as far as feeding on fresh fresh grass and everything, it could help. I just hope we don't get that mess where we start getting these warm days, which we've had a few. We got trees already blooming up here, and they gobbled out. And, and I'd rather I like you know we go to May the fifteenth. And uh time you get to May the fifteenth, it seems like it's like July again. Uh oh yeah. I like I I hope it kind of cools back down and holds the turkeys off till opening day and they're not gobbling too soon. 
not peeking out too yeah. not peeking out too soon. Yeah, me we uh I did a podcast last week with Scott Ellis and he we talked about the same exact thing and talk about we prefer for it to stay a little bit colder right till the season starts. Yeah. Now I've hunted. I, I think like it to helps. hunt turkeys when it's cold. I mean, I've hunted Midwest in 30s degrees in the high 20s, and them tur- some reason some days it, if they've had a warm spell and it gets back cold, they'll gobble like crazy on them crisp cold mornings. It seems like they work oh, yeah. well because the hens have got to go off if they've already started laying a little bit. They got to go off and protect those eggs and get on the nest and. Uh, those gobblers out looking for a hen, so sometimes they're easier to call in. Yeah, yeah. They, sometimes on them, like you said, on them real cold mornings like that, sometimes it makes them gobble. It's like it, they ain't got no choice but to get up and move around yeah. as cold as it is. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, I know, uh, I guess we could start kind of wrapping it up, but you got a, wanted to let you get in a plug or two. You, I know you got a, jig you've been working on and uh you're starting to sell i think yeah why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah it? i started working on this thing actually after the end of last season we i've built turkey calls for commercial companies for almost 30 years and design machines i've got industrial machines here run off of air that we build thousands and thousands of calls and i've probably built over a million mouth calls since i started back in the 90s i was figuring it out we built 111,000 one year but uh, I get more interest. I, mm. I build personal calls for people, and I was thinking, and I've had more people say, I want to build my own, come down and build my own calling machine, go kill a turkey with it. So I come up with a little jig. It's real easy. It's self-contained and everything, and it's uh, it's not a, doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. And it's called the Little Jiggy. And we have a web, uh, we don't have a website yet, but we have on YouTube, we have the, the Little Jiggy, because there's a rapper out there named Little Jiggy, I found out later. It's L-I-L, <laughs> Jiggy, uh, the little Jiggy turkey call building kit. And uh, we're swamped right now shipping these things out as fast as we can go. And uh, But it's taking off. It, there's a big interest in that. And I'm getting a lot of good feedback. Uh, I've got just, just this last two days, I've got two guys. So man, this I built calls first time last night, and it sounds better than any call I bought off the shelf. And then everything's been positive so far. But uh, we're trying to get them out and make a good product. We build them here at the shop ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, I got one, and uh, and I really do like it. I, actually, I think I, I may have been. I think I was the first. Yeah, I, I think, think I was your first customer. customer yeah. yeah, and uh, but it's it's awesome, man. I I, I, I love. I got some uh, <clears throat> new material in it. Uh, called camouflage green it looks really good but it's really hard to run on my machine i'm trying to perfect that but i've got a couple of them run one of them they look really really good but we we're just tweaking that part of it but for the working aspects of it it's the way it's made this this uh it works really well and uh i'm gonna take a few up to nashville i got people looking wanting me to bring some but we're just trying to get it out there i'm always trying to think of coming up with stuff and uh make it easier for the hunters and something I can put on the market. And this was one of the items I've been working on. I put a lot of work in this thing. Uh, just trial and error. I've got a 3d printer. We printed the parts and got everything put together and finally got it put together where it works really good. Yeah. I, I tell you, man, I really do like it. And, and, and I'm, I've never, before I got that jig from you, I, I'd never made a call 
ever. Like I'd never built a call before. And if if I can do it, then anybody be able to make one with that thing. So yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of you get a good <clears throat> you get a good feeling when you learn how to make them because my calls have got so expensive over the years. I mean, I, it's crazy to me. Some of them are up to fifteen dollars a piece, and uh, you can build these when you buy the when you buy the refill kit for 75 cents a piece. And uh, there's not a lot to it. You're stretching that rubber. And that's the secret. What works for you is getting the right stretch. And that's just trial and error. And then uh, once you get it down, uh, the cut's pretty easy to make. It comes with a pair of scissors that's for making the cuts. It comes with everything you need. So, but it's kind of fun to make build your own call and go out and kill a turkey with it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm excited to use a few that I've made and, uh, Trying to call up a turkey with it. Hopefully, maybe one day win a contest with one of them. Yeah, that'd be even better. Because <laughs> yeah. that's tough, man. It's not – I mean, I oh, say yeah. it's hard to go out and kill a turkey. But to go out and win <clears> a big contest, it's getting harder and harder every day because there's so many people out there practicing getting trying to get ready. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say this. I think a lot of people might wonder why I like to talk about – because I mean, a lot of a lot of the guests that I'm going to have on this show or have had on this podcast, they're going to be people that have probably been kind of known in the competition world, and we'll plug them and all that stuff. But all I can say is, I mean, if if anybody out there this, you know, they might think competition calling might not be the same as going hunting. Well, I think I mean I I don't think there's anything more comparable i mean yeah you got you we kind of touched on it earlier you got you there's little nuances and stuff that you're gonna see and hear and you know on a contest or in the stage that you're not gonna see in the woods but everybody that's in that everybody that's up there on that stage calling the reason that they're up there is because they love turkey hunting so much. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And the, the thing you got to learn, <clears throat> what, the thing you got to do different in the woods and you got, it's a learning curve in that is you got to know when to pour it on the turkey and when to tone it down and do the subtle calls. And, uh, and, uh, you got to learn all, you know, the aspects of that. And then it's, and it's like you were talking about earlier, how, how well a turkey can hear. I can remember hunting some public land years and years ago, and there was a turkey. I had him. I thought he was coming in, and I was going solo on a call. I said, "This turkey's never going to hear this," and I was just like muffling it down solo. And this turkey was gobbling every time I hit it. He come in, I killed him. It was a big old turkey, but I was so amazed that turkey could hear that. But I just toned it down real low, and uh, that's the that's what you got to learn. You know how hard to call, when to call, and when not to call. Yeah. A lot of times you can just shut the calling off and you got him at a certain point, you know, and he's wanting it bad enough. He's going to come looking for you. When he, but if you're sitting there pouring it on him, he's standing there gobbling. I remember one time I was hunting Missouri and back then, I guess it still is. You can only hunt at one o'clock. We had this big old gobbler out in this field and I'd call and he'd come a little bit and he'd strut around in a circle. And, he, and every time I'd call, he stopped. And the guy was looking at his watch. He said, man, you got to quit calling and just see if he'll come on. And, uh, I just put the call down finally, and he came on in as biggest turkey I ever killed, weighed twenty five point five pounds, in mm. Buffalo County, Missouri, and uh, right outside of Buffalo, Missouri, I think it was years years ago. But uh, you just gotta know when to cut it off sometimes. Mm. Well, you now you you got me thinking about so much other stuff, but that was <laughs> I kind of 
I kind of shortened I kind of shortened my question up. I didn't I didn't follow through with it earlier about the the rain and turkeys weight and stuff like that. But the reason I asked that earlier was because it seemed like last year a lot of the people that I knew killed turkeys. There was a lot of heavy birds got killed last year, and I don't know. That was the only thing I could think was with the rain and stuff. I I had never seen a year where so many big bodied turkeys got killed. Yeah, it could have you know it could have an effect on them. You got a lot more uh, insects out there and a lot more new growth uh, browse like green that they nip off and stuff during the summer. It, it could it could help a lot. But we had a lot of rain here. I know that. I don't know, but in the other aspect, it could kept them so wet there could have been a lot of turkeys that got sick from it too you don't never know um, yeah i don't know the biologists would could tell you more about that oh yeah i'm sure um well i sure do appreciate you coming on here ricky uh i feel like we kind of touched a little bit on pretty much all kind of different stuff maybe somebody will take something from it and get out there and go hunting. Yep, I'm ready to get after them. I'm ready to see. I'll see you at the convention. It'll have everybody. If you ain't got plans to get up there, you need to come on by and check it out. It's pretty. It's a fun time. You'll see some wild stuff. You'll see some wild people too. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna tell you. Anybody out there that hadn't never been, um, if you haven't been, you need to go. It, it's 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 like a once in a lifetime deal. I mean, it's it's really. I was amazed. Well, the Auburn is something to see in itself. And then when you get yeah. when you pile the turkey folks in there in the, in the convention hall and all that, it's just something else to see. It's fun time. Oh, it's yeah. a fun time. Yep. It's, it's huge. I can't wait. Well, Ricky. All right. We sure do appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you. All right, man.